Hello, good morning, and no, not morning. It is decidedly evening. It is 7 p.m. now as I'm recording this on Friday, the 12th of March, 2021, and we are back with episode 185. Before getting started, just a friendly reminder, please drop me five stars on Apple Podcasts if you're a fan. And by the way, if you missed my LinkedIn message, yeah, I am actually going to give out a Clubhouse invite if you want it, if you leave me a legit five-star rating, and this is not to try to boost ratings artificially or dishonestly if you legitimately actually enjoy this podcast and if you'd like a clubhouse invite and if you have not yet left me five stars in a review on apple podcasts please be sure to do that then send me a message on linkedin or i guess twitter or whatever and i will be happy to share with you a clubhouse invite i have only six so if you want it come and get it today some more about why AVs need to be EVs, some thoughts on teleops and why they shouldn't be considered AVs, and Munich Airport becomes an AV test site. Who knew? All this right now. So last time we talked about how this is really inspiring, exciting, totally awesome bill just been introduced to the California Senate to ensure that by 2025, all AVs are electric. This is a really big deal. I said as much then, I'm going to keep saying it until it becomes reality. And it's big for all sorts of deals, which you can recap listening to the last episode if you'd like. But I stumbled across a pretty great argument here that somehow and I say this affectionately, as obvious as argument is, I sort of missed it, which is simply that, you know, years from now, we, it's not like we can just sort of retroactively transform AVs into EVs. This is a thing that needs to be done now. And maybe this is obvious, but, and okay, yeah, I guess it is obvious, but but it's kind of important to say, because the idea is we're going to be constantly putting new vehicles on the road and the last thing you want to do is put these new super high-end vehicles on the road with all this AV capability building them with internal combustion engines would be the equivalent of I don't know um, iPhones being produced to run off AA batteries or coal it just wouldn't make any sense and so the idea that AVs should be allowed to operate on anything other than electric battery powertrain yeah, that would just be antithetical to the very essence of kind of, I guess, at least tangentially what they're about. And also, indeed, as we discussed last time, the future that effectively requires both an autonomous and electric and connected and shared future. Again, listen to the last episode if you haven't yet, because I dive into this in much greater depth. That notion in mind, it turns out that Cruise, the company that I've spoken about quite a bit for the three years of this podcast... If you remember, uh, they recently announced their Cruise Origin, sort of this autonomous pod car thing, which should be seeing the light of day relatively soon. Well, it turns out that they are going to be building what is quite possibly the largest charging port, for lack of a better word. Well, wait, no, I don't mean actually charging port. That's the thing actually uh, in the vehicle itself, which accepts the charging uh, cord. Let's try a different word here. They're going to build the largest vehicle charging station, or at least one of the largest, planned for North America, somewhere in San Francisco, specifically in the Bayview District. I 
didn't really realize there's any other plot of land in SF left large enough for such a thing. But the idea is it's going to house something like 25 fast chargers and 50 ports. So yeah, it's sort of two different charging ports per charger device, I suppose. And this, of course, kind of makes sense, right? So the idea is that Cruise wants to make sure that you've got a proper charging infrastructure in place because, of course, I mean, because obviously uh, this is something you're going to need with the Cruise Origin. Again, you've got these little pod cars. The ideas are going to be buzzing about town, uh, shuttling people around. Then obviously, if you don't have a properly fleshed out thoroughly robust charging network in easy access, meaning both that it's got enough stalls, eventually that it's ubiquitous enough, although for a city the size of a large postage stamp, I suppose having one large charging center is probably sufficient. Um, you know, this is a critically important thing. What's a bit surprising to me is I had never actually heard about this until, well, today. And this is hugely important stuff. If you're wondering just how important I think it is, well, you may have heard me say in the past, I've certainly discussed it with others, if not on the podcast, for all of Tesla's great redeeming qualities as a vehicle, and admittedly, and despite several of their vehicles' various flaws, I don't think that Tesla would be Tesla to, let me actually say that with more emphasis, Tesla would not be Tesla. In fact, I don't even think it would have survived this long, but for its incredible supercharger network, which doesn't just take away range anxiety. It doesn't just make mm, life with an EV practical and easy. It also just makes life with an EV fun and cool. I mean, I've said this several times in the past that, yeah, okay, it's true. You've got a budget an extra, what, say 40-ish minutes or so um, every, call it two and a half, three hours of driving on a freeway. And so it's true if you've got a sufficiently long road trip, say from San Francisco to LA, you know, it's going to add potentially an hour and a half or two to your entire journey, which is not a trivial thing. I get that. Unless, of course, you recognize that, you know, unless you're trying to do a cannonball run, I suppose, uh, you know, adding that amount of time for some bathroom and snack breaks isn't actually... Well, I was going to say it's not a big deal. It's just not an issue at all because you need to do that anyway. And, and, and so the point is, is that in the same way that Tesla recognized brilliantly from the beginning that in order to build a great electric car, it had to be the case that they had a great charging infrastructure. Well, look, crews are realizing the same thing. You know, I've said many, many times before that I don't think that Tesla necessarily has, well, that's not true. Tesla does actually have the greatest electric car. That's true. I don't think it's the most uh, luxurious vehicle, electric or otherwise, but, you know, um, it doesn't really matter because if you look at the Porsche Taycan, which has a pretty abysmal range, if you look at the Jaguar I-Pace, again, a brilliant car, if you look at, oh, the, the, the Ford Mach-E, an amazing, wonderful electric car, but at the end of the day, I could never get one, I wouldn't want to get one, and frankly, I don't think most of you listening would ever really consider getting one just unless you really wanted something different to a Tesla, because why not? Because they don't have that same ubiquity and peace of mind offered by a Tesla supercharger. I mean, it really is that big of a deal, and it's somewhat surprising to me that nobody really ever talks about this as much. I mean, again, I've been saying this for a long time, and I think it's critically important. So to see that crews are kind of really doubling down on this, I think this is hugely important. And um, yeah, like I say, this is kind of the first that I've heard about this, so I'm eager to... Uh, Circle back when I learn more. 
Hey, real quick, just a friendly reminder, be sure to check out theinformation.com when you get a chance. And specifically, make sure to check out theinformation.com slash Hogue if you want to check it out with 75% off your first month. I know I've talked a bit about the information over the last several episodes, but I just thought of an analogy to really drive the point home. The information is basically like The Economist for tech news. Yeah, seriously, this is actually what drew me to it and why I was so excited when they wanted to be a sponsor of this podcast. If you think about the incredibly deep dive journalism that The Economist does for all things politics, and admittedly, science and tech in the final pages, that's sort of what the information is like, but just for tech news. It's just incredible stuff. The content is fantastic. The writing is great. And frankly, all the bonus stuff they provide beyond just the articles, I've never seen it anywhere. So anyway, look, give it a shot. I promise you'll like it. All you have to do is head over to theinformation.com slash Hogue. Again, that's theinformation.com slash Hogue, H-O-A-G. All right, so something occurred to me. Uh, you know, I recently joined the advisory board of a tele-op startup called Chibus. Uh, they do remote operation of cars, currently capable of doing this, by the way, from 6,000 miles away from San Francisco in Belarus. They've got a kit they've developed that they can easily retrofit to a, uh, a Toyota Prius Prime. And we were having a discussion, and we realized something, which was it's sort of a mistake to recognize or even include in the same conversation as AVs uh, the notion of teleops generally. Teleops shouldn't be a thing which discussed in the same uh, in the same thread as AVs. Now, just to be clear, what this means is it's not that AVs may not use and indeed may not be required to use teleops as a backup safety thing. In fact, I would almost suggest that if you're an AV, then it must be the case that you have some backup layer in the form of teleops. But the reverse is decidedly not the case. And I think this is something which is actually missed quite a bit. If you've got a teleoperated vehicle, it doesn't necessarily mean, in fact, it's quite likely the case that it need not be, and indeed is not, an AV of any sort. It's neither L4 nor L5. It may not even be L3 or even L2. In fact, that's sort of kind of the whole point of, AV, uh, of teleops, right? It's that it is an alternative to AVs. And I think that's something that's been missed in the media. In fact, when I say missed, I think it's something that's unfairly that's, forget being unfair, it has incorrectly missed the point of what teleops is. Just because teleops can be mm, an additional layer on top of or in addition to the existing AV hardware stack, that doesn't mean that teleops on its own isn't something altogether different. What I'm getting at is that teleops as a whole simply shouldn't even be included in discussions on AV, including and especially matters of regulation. So here's where I'm going with this, right? So so if you look at uh, the various definitions of level three, level four, level five, there shouldn't even be a discussion about how teleops slots into all of that. I mean, for example, what would you call a car that was level two Say like a Tesla, for instance, just to pick on Tesla again. Suppose you've got a Tesla, it's level two, and let's suppose that these are teleop capable. I mean, is that going to suddenly change the level of what that car is? Is a, is a, is a teleop capable Tesla suddenly going to be level four, level five? No, of course not. It's still a level two car. It's just got this backup layer of teleops. 
I mean, I don't care whether you're doing remote control or using the force. At the end of the day, the car is not driving because it's got AV capability. It's driving because it's got some person literally remote controlling the thing. It is literally a drone in the same way that we've had drones in the military forever. Or maybe your uh, DJI camera drone is effectively teleopt. Same thing. And the reason I'm saying this is, and, and yes, obviously, transparently, I have some vested interest in this, obviously. But like, the reason I'm saying this is because I think this has a pretty profound impact on how regulation gets fleshed out going forward, right? And I think the, the concern that, that I have is if regulation ends up slowing down the advent of teleops because it's sort of we're constantly kind of waiting for regulation to keep up with and allow for different levels of autonomy, level three, four, five, et cetera, this then risks potentially delaying teleops in places where it should be more readily deployed and indeed fast-tracked, right? Because the truth is teleops is effectively safe enough when done correctly that it can be deployed in many, many places and that it can, that this can occur before you've got the sufficient regulation in place to otherwise allow comparable, say, level four autonomy, for instance. And so, but if we're constantly going to kind of lump teleops into the same category as AV, well, then it's going to be prematurely and unnecessarily delayed. So, so again, I guess what I'm saying is I think that henceforth, we need to really make a concerted effort to wholly separate teleops from the conversation of AV, both at a regulatory level and indeed even as a technical level, and to recognize teleops as what it is. It is primarily not just a backup layer of tech for AVs or indeed any vehicle, but more fundamentally, it's actually just a complete alternative to an AV solution altogether. Because again, you can have teleops on a level zero car for that matter. You can have teleops on a 1940s, uh, you know, on a 1940s pickup truck. So I think this is a really important distinction to keep in mind. And frankly, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So please do shoot me a note and let me know what you think. All right, so here's something I didn't see coming. So it turns out that Munich's airport, which fantastic airport, if you ever get the chance to fly again, once we're through this COVID mess, transit through Germany, do pick Munich over Frankfurt. Um, so they've got a thing called Lab Campus. It's some sort of a innovation center, maybe a think tank or you know, whatever. Um, basically, uh, they're about to get, as one of their newest tenants, Argo AI. So if Argo, you'll remember we've talked about them quite a bit. Um, you know, Argo is basically the AV tech company based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They they were founded back in 2016, I believe. Um, so they've got partnerships with both Ford on the US side and Volkswagen on the German side. So suffice to say, they are pretty nicely flush with cash. Anyway, so they've now got a deal where with this lab campus, uh, I guess, program or accelerator or initiative, this, this test bed at the Munich airport, well, Argo's going to build a test track yeah, at the airport. And they're going to open this in 2022. And the plan is they're going to basically use this test track to, well, test their AV uh, development rigs. And huh, building a test track at an airport, if that conjures up memories of a certain Top Gear, the proper Top Gear from the BBC, 
Um, yeah, well, you'd not be alone because that's obviously the first thing that my head went to as well. So yeah, the idea is a test track at Munich airport. They're going to be testing all sorts of vehicles, all sorts of conditions, traffic situations, and so forth. It's going to be built near the aircraft maintenance hangars. And this will just be a really great way for Argo to really flesh out what they're up to. I don't, if I'm honest, I don't fully understand the relationship between Argo and, or I should say between Lab Campus and the Munich airport. I think, I don't really know what Lab Campus is in a, in a corporate sense. I don't know whether it's something which is actually part of Munich airport in some interesting sort of way, or whether it's a wholly separate entity, which is just leasing space from Munich airport. That's sort of what I suspect. And furthermore, I'm kind of curious how they even got the space to do this. I mean, airports tend to be pretty, you know, they don't exactly tend to have a whole bunch of extra space lying around. So I find this pretty remarkable. What I also find interesting is that this is happening at an airport at all, because I'm sure we've talked about this a bit in the past. Airports are actually one of the really prime locations for, well, not just AVs, but frankly, to the point of our previous segment a moment ago, it's, they're a really great sort of, not just test bed, but frankly, a use case for teleops. I mean, everything from baggage handling carts to, frankly, the large people movers, you know, those big kind of typically accordion buses that shuttle you like so many sardines from, say, an airplane back to the terminal in situations where the plane, for whatever reason, cannot actually park at the gate. You know, there's a lot of great use cases for this stuff. So testing AVs at an airport, I am 100% behind. This, this to me is some pretty impressive stuff. Uh, really, really great thing. Uh, so look, I'm hoping to get some more information on this. This news just broke today. Uh, hopefully, if I get some more on this, I will circle back to you and share it with you. But for now, look, it is Friday evening. It is 8 p.m. Frankly, if you're listening to this, get out of here. Go have some fun. Do something else. Come back on Monday. Either way, enjoy the weekend. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. See you back here on Tuesday. Bye-bye.